I'm Daniel Penny, and you're listening to Non-Toxic, a podcast connecting the manosphere with the atmosphere. This week on Non-Toxic, we're talking about advertising and consumption, which is fitting because my interview with Lucy von Sturmer, founder of Creatives for Climate, took place on Black Friday. Lucy is a longtime expert in the fields of sustainability communications and advertising. Like a lot of people who get paid to talk about climate on behalf of businesses, Lucy started to feel like maybe some of the sustainability jobs she was taking weren't always about transparency and accuracy. I became a master of jargon, almost becoming the mouthpiece for all these brands. I was really like drinking the Kool-Aid of conscious consumerism and thinking that like I could buy this perfect wardrobe and be this perfect consumer and getting more and more angry and confused. Eventually, it got to be too much. And after joining the media team of the environmental activist group Extinction Rebellion in 2019, she decided to focus her efforts on finding like-minded creatives in the ad world and building a consensus on how to stop greenwashing and how to stop making excuses for the world's most polluting companies. The result is a nonprofit called Creatives for Climate, with thousands of members spread across the world. I reached out to Lucy to get her take on the current state of climate advertising especially when it comes to the ways advertisers talk to men about climate. What ideas about masculinity are they tapping into? How do they play on male insecurities to promote a greener future, or in some cases, to downplay the threat of climate change? And where does sex appeal fit into the climate conversation? On this episode of Non-Toxic, we discuss all this and more. Lucy von Sturmer, thank you so much for coming on Non-Toxic. It's a pleasure to have you. It's really exciting to be here. Thanks for reaching out. So I thought we could start by just talking a little bit about how it is that you founded Creatives for Climate. You started your career doing communications for NGOs and then had your first big environmental comms job working in sustainable fashion. What was that like? I was tapped on the shoulder to take a head of communications role for a multi-stakeholder initiative focused on sustainable fashion, it's chemical management in the supply chain. This initiative started in response to a campaign that Greenpeace had, had enacted called the Detox Campaign, basically challenging fashion brands for polluting. And so somewhat like naively at 27, I became the head of comms, almost becoming the mouthpiece for all these brands and their response to this serious allegation, let's say. I was kind of getting told like, almost what not to say, what to say, what images to use, what images not to use. And I became a master of jargon. At the time, I was also like embarking on my own personal activism journey. And I was really like drinking the Kool-Aid of conscious consumerism and thinking that like I could buy this perfect wardrobe and be this perfect consumer and getting more and more angry and confused. I also just decided at a certain point that I didn't want a purpose-driven career. And I actually went and worked in advertising. I was the global peer manager for Media Monks. I was like, maybe this whole like values-driven work stuff just isn't for me. It's too confusing. And maybe I'll just go um, work for the bad guys. 
But what was really odd about that job was that more and more like purpose-driven briefs, let's say, were landing on my desk. And I was thinking like, well, this is really problematic. What's being written here? And there's no critical thinking around like social justice or environmental responsibility. And I, I went and started my own comms shop called The Humble Brag, really with this like belief and mandate that I wanted to help more business leaders become activists and be more honest and be transparent. So what is it that you're actually doing at Creatives for Climate? In, in one term, like I could just say mobilization. So we came together in a, the form of a summer with 300 business leaders of the advertising industry to, at the time in 2019, like engage seriously around the climate emergency and ask what we could do. It was just an event, but it was a really well-branded event. And we had a mailing list of thousands that had signed on to join this thing called Creators for Climate. And so I spent, honestly, three years keeping the lights on with my job that I'd created for myself and funding this kind of exploratory community. It kind of changed in 2022 when we became a registered nonprofit. And I was like, okay, I really want to do this seriously. We have an educational program called the Anti-Greenwash Watch, which is part of a pathway for change that we created, where we basically certify people as recognized creatives for climate. And that pathway demands joining the hub, so practicing collaboration, engaging with anti-greenwash materials, so taking the Greenwash Watch. And lastly, a divestment pledge. So calls for signing on with one of our allies, clean creatives, or comes to clear to divest from oil and gas. And that's just also because there's so much kind of tinkering around the edges of measuring how to decarbonize our efforts and a lot of like advertising standards and bodies that actually aren't challenging agencies to drop their fossil fuel clients. And all of those efforts, all of those decarbonization efforts mean nothing if creatives are going to continue to build the social license of the world's biggest polluters. So I want to talk a little bit about that social license and the relationship between advertising and storytelling and giving fossil fuels this veneer of credibility. Why is it advertisers need to think about these questions? Why is this an important fulcrum socially? Well, when you think about the devastating effects of this industry on the planet and the insane amount of profits that are being made by very few people. And when you say this industry, are you referring to advertising or fossil fuels? Oh, yeah, good point. Fossil fuels. Yeah, fair, fair. Like how do we as a, as a society of the culture actually come to accept the subsidies that they receive, the robbing of our like future, basically, advertising and marketing, like through building this relationship with sponsoring cultural events or perpetuating narratives around like any kind of transition that they may be going through or why we need them. It's the, it's the advertising and the marketing of Shell, BP, Exxon. It's the creative and persuasive powers of storytellers that gives these industries a social license. Why aren't we more outraged <laughs> is really the question. Do people get defensive when you challenge them on this? I think that it's, it, it is, it's a bit of a mindset shift because oftentimes individual creators feel really attacked. You know, it's like, hey, I just went to art school and I'm a graphic designer and like, I just needed a job and now I'm working at this agency and like, give me a break, you know? And so I'm really conscious of not creating an environment where 
we attack the creatives because it's not about the creatives. It's about the agencies making these decisions. And in fact, the creatives will be fine. Like we need the persuasive powers of storytellers for all of the new emerging industries and all of the kind of green solutions that exist out there. It's the holding companies that should be a little bit worried. Talk to me about some of the rhetorical strategies, the greenwashing things that you're trying to educate your members to recognize and counteract. There's a lot of obscurification of like what sustainability is. And actually, I think that's quite intentional because it basically props up a lot of careers and businesses and consultants. <laughs> and so that's also like part of the joy and the simplicity of what I'm trying to create at Creators for Climate. It's like, this stuff can be also be really simple. Like we've created this greenwash swatch tool with seven ways to identify greenwashing. It's like, how can we build the confidence of everyday people to say like, hey, I recognize like something about this alliance I'm seeing of leaders taking a stand on whatever feels iffy. Oh, that's called green crowding. When, you know, a, an organization just kind of bands together with others and says like, we're working on it. Don't come and look at us. Like yesterday I saw a really outrageous advertisement by a new coal alliance and alliance. Oh my God. Oh yeah. It was like greenwashing 101. And I was like, you know, once you've been in this space for a little while, you're like, oh, like I know what this looks like. You're delaying. It's a tactic of delay. I mean, some of the steps, you know, it's funny. Like when you watch the ad, it's really funny. And then it's really not like the stuff that we think is outrageous. Other people are really buying and are really using to legitimize like continuing business as usual. And I think, you know, it's terrifying. But we're also seeing this really odd flip side, which is like organizations and brands just saying like, we're not, we're not part of the positive transition and we're going to own that. And it's like, what? <laughs> this episode of Non-Toxic is sponsored by Blue Corn Candles, a Colorado-based company that's been making handcrafted beeswax candles since 1991. Most candles in the market are made of paraffin, a diesel byproduct that's literally scraped from the bottom of the barrel. Blue corn candles are made from sustainably harvested and lightly filtered beeswax. The candles smell great, burn super slowly, and most importantly, they don't produce any toxic fumes. For the first time, Blue Corn has launched a new line of scented candles based on the rugged landscapes of Colorado. From the sagebrush-covered foothills of Ridgeway to the pine forests of Telluride. During these dark months, Blue Corn is running a special deal for non-toxic listeners. Enter the code NONTOXIC, that's one word, all caps, at checkout to receive 10% off your order. Shipping within the U.S. and internationally. I'm Daniel Penny, and you're listening to NONTOXIC. I'm speaking with Lucy von Sturmer, founder of Creatives for Climate. Let's, let's talk about some of the outrageous campaigns. And I want to think specifically along the lines of gender, in part because I know that advertising targets specific demographics and talks to them in different ways. And I think in the case of men and women, there are definitely different ways that advertisers seem to be communicating about ideas of sustainability and the way that sustainability can be tied into traditional gender scripts or ideas of femininity or masculinity or sex appeal. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the way that some men are being addressed through the classic symbol of American masculinity, the pickup truck. 
one ad really struck me. It was played during the Super Bowl last year. So you can't get more butch than that. And it's for an, an electric truck that Ram is rolling out in 2024. And I thought maybe we could just watch that and then maybe you could give me your thoughts on it. Are you excited about buying an electric vehicle but worried that it could leave you unsatisfied? Then you could be one of many Americans concerned about premature electrification. Symptoms may include fearing you might not be able to last as long as you'd like. There was plenty of charge before and sometimes it goes away. A lot of times. I've been working a lot. Being unsure if you have enough power to handle your payload. I don't know if I got the power for this baby. I'm adventurous. I like to go all the way. I don't want to have to question if we're even going to make it. Yeah. It's a concern. Lacking the confidence about getting and being able to keep a charge. Having to stop every time we got really excited, that wouldn't work for me. Stop. Start. Stop. Start. If PE, premature electrification, is something you're worried about, go to ramrev.com and find out if the Ram 1500 Rev, with options being designed to extend range in satisfying ways, is right for you. Stop. Start. Stop. Start. Yeah. So my, my hot take is like, I like, can't fault the creative. Like, that's, that's great. There's no denying it's hilarious. Great creative. Hilarious copy. Great casting. <laughs> I mean, it's just the market maturing, right? You're a man. Like, how did you, does this make you want to buy this product? I mean, no, not you at all. What are you associated with? <laughs> I, I think what was so funny about it is it's using like a pre-existing advertising concept right the the pe ad the premature ejaculation ad and that's that's the whole joke of saying pe right i mean it's not even like subliminal there's like the fishing rod that's bent and like every sort of signal that you could give for a flaccid penis is you said it yeah presented <laughs> in this in this ad and yeah i think they're trying to take on this value more than they're trying to take on like a buying proposition. It's it's just like EV cars are not for wimpy guys. See, mm. like you can be a real man and like you don't have to worry about like these. If you if, like, if you differentiate yourself from the others in the market because ours will like retain your masculinity and your strength and like the boom. <laughs> yeah, like you'll still be a virile man. It's really interesting when you start to kind of like decode your whole life around consumption. I mean, that's for me also when it started at university, when I started to realize like, I cannot possibly read these kinds of magazines, i.e. like, you know, gal magazines or consumer magazines shopping and not participate in these narratives. Like there's no, like, I just need to cut them out. Mm. And, and also like slightly, like slightly becoming a feminist on this journey in the sense of like also realizing that you know, there's a whole consumerist machine out there that basically wants me to feel bad about myself so that I buy more. Yeah. And I think it's not just women who are made to feel bad about themselves yeah. sure. and buy stuff. I think an ad like this proves quite yeah. clearly that right. there are ways in which men are deeply insecure and made um, to feel insecure yeah. and buying something is a solution to that insecurity. I want us to take a look at another ad and I was hoping that you could kind of just like narrate what's happening and what you're thinking oh, about okay. it as we watch it. There's no talking in the ad. And this is an ad 
from Mobile. Um, it came out over the summer and it's called Breaking Free. Okay. There's a man crouched in his bed, looking sad. I think that's his phone. A woman is walking and she is covered in electronics. Yeah, there are these tendrils of plugs everywhere. Tendrils of plugs. Sorry, I'm in this one. Life is very inconvenient, clearly. People are trying to go into different bars, restaurants, toilet, running, and they're being held back by these tendrils. Now we've got this guy sitting. He's looking overwhelmed. Light on. He's just he's covered in these electronic cords. But what's that? He's getting in the car. He's smiling. He's a bit burly man. May I add that? Cords have been cut. They're trailing off behind him. Happiness. There was also color. The whole rest of the ad was dark. He's like in this beautiful natural landscape, of course. Disconnecting feels a lot like breaking free for the love of driving. Mobile One, the world's leading synthetic motor oil. So, yeah, to me, that ad is like the rejoinder to the premature electrification ad. You think like electrification is good, but like, oh gosh, electrification actually sucks. Yeah, I mean, like the masculinity and narrative wars that are going to play out in the U.S. around this transition, I feel like are very specific. Yeah, when I saw this, I, I thought it was outrageous. I was like, oh, no, advertising is changing and I'm not prepared for this. You know, I'm used to looking at brands and organizations claiming to be better than they are. Like, how are we going to deal with this kind of rejection of that? in this like bitter freedom life. And, and I think we're starting to see it. And it's scary because it's kind of like around like beliefs and ideologies of what it means to have a good life. And it's really hard to necessarily meet on the middle on that when people, when there's not this presumption that we all want the same thing, which is like a livable future or the preservation of our ecosystems and our environments. I'm curious to get your take on the way that this ad manages to conflate a real feeling of kind of being overwhelmed and the over kind of connectedness of online life with EVs. Oh, with online life. I was more thinking that it was just talking about the inconvenience of, you know, being dependent on charging your EV. I didn't so much pick up on the conflation with because they're all on their phones constantly yeah. and they're all on their computers. No one's ever looking at each other. Oh, and... right. Yeah. So, oh, that's odd. Yeah, right. But stepping into your car is also like a reconnection with nature. Yeah. I, th I think there's a sense of like everyone agrees that we're all like kind of mm. tethered to our electronic devices and that mm. this is a alienating and depressing existence that like so many of us are living in where we can't put down these electronic things. And I think that that's where like the, the citizen or the consumer kind of gets lost because like because the, the infrastructure doesn't exist now, because those options aren't easy, aren't convenient, people find themselves kind of like, well, I don't know if I want that. And God, that's more expensive. And that is more, you know, inconvenient. And I think that's where 
where it's difficult to see the market leading. I think that's where like we do need regulation because these transitions will be expensive and demand, you know, buy-in from every player. And I I feel like we're at this point where the counter narrative is basically like you don't have to change things can stay the way they are oh. all these things that that they're telling you you have to give up yeah and weren't they better in the past i think that that is you've hit the nail on the head also in terms of what's happening with politics people like me or people that are kind of like aware that things are not right but also that aware that like they're not right because of systemic decisions we've made in the past I think we're arriving at this moment in time being like let's take some chances let's do something brave let's do something new let's 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 go forward into the unknown and what we're seeing is that the majority of people turns out are not and so they're voting for people that are telling them what they want to hear which is like we can continue so here in the Netherlands you know we just had a very scary election result we just had a really scary election and you know all of the kind of you know, ambitions to reduce carbon emissions are out the window. Like, God, we don't need to do that. Don't worry about it. You know, continue. Keep your good life. So these messages are swirling, not just in the world of consumer products, but they're picked up by politicians on the right, especially who, who want to kind of tap into larger sentiments that are part of the discourse, right? I wanted to chat finally about that Kim K ad. I mean, perfect segue, right? Because <laughs> um, I feel like she is the absolute master of yeah. finding something um, that is already kind of happening, people are talking about, and then tweaking it in just the right way. So yeah, let's, let's talk about the new Skims ad, and I'm just going to play it, if that's all right with you. The Earth's temperature is getting hotter and hotter. The sea levels are rising, the ice sheets are shrinking, and I'm not a scientist. But I do believe everyone can use their skill set to do their part. That's why I'm introducing a brand new bra with a built-in nipple. So no matter how hot it is, you'll always look cold. Some days are hard, but these nipples are harder. And unlike the icebergs, these aren't going anywhere. The Skims Ultimate Nipple Bra. Everything is dystopian about <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, Greenpeace accused Kim of using melting glaciers and rising sea levels as a punchline on this. And that's what it is. It's like making the mockery of an issue to drive a profit. So no. I think there's no credibility of this. It didn't serve the climate. It served Skims. It served Kim. It kind of just like you know, surfaces the topic in popular culture is like, yeah, it's happening and like we're moving on and isn't it funny, lol, lol. I think that's what is so dystopian about this. Yeah. I mean, also the products are made of plastic. Derived from fossil fuels, right? I want to talk about the way that it uses sex appeal specifically, though. That's what makes it so hard to look away from, right? And <laughs> kind of the way that the EV ad is really tapping into this idea. Of, I mean, that's making sex a joke. Here she's, she is like selling sex and then climate is somehow related. Like, can we flip that? Can we like use sex to make something appealing? Yeah, definitely. For, for one, of my, 
favorite new Instagram accounts is called like sexy climate change. And it just has like sexy, silly images. And then like things that people are, are hot about. <laughs> I think in their own kind of way. I mean, this is not sexy at all. But I do think that like climate activists are making it a party, you know, and that was my New Zealand accent. I said party. <laughs> you know, it's cool. Like if you're young, like you want to be taking a selfie with like the cool youth activists that are like they're, the influencers, you know, like we saw it at New York Climate Week. Like we all know who the like 12, 15 kind of well-known youth climate activists are and every organization wants them at their event or every philanthropist, uh, you know, validating that they're kind of on the zeitgeist of whatever's happening. And I think that in that sense, young people are finding it fun and attractive to become part of these movements. And I think it's a really good thing. And I guess, to be honest, it's also what we're doing at Creative Climate. Like we run, you know, events led by members of our community. They're usually like inspiring front runners. They're brave. They're doing stuff. They're cool. And we bring people together. Like we have an event today in Nigeria. We have an event in a few weeks in London, we've had events in um, Berlin and Copenhagen. It's just kind of like we've just launched this kind of decentralized chapter model and it's really taking off. And people just want to, like, yes, they're coming together over climate anxiety, but they're also coming together because they see opportunities to transition their careers and, and just kind of connect. When it comes, I think, specifically to advertising and the messages that, that we're encountering, what should they be aware of? What should they be doing? Maybe the thing I would say, the thing to, to be aware of is I always say that our job, like we won't convince the skeptic, but what I would like, like where I'd like my impact to be is it's like the people that, or the initiatives, the agencies that want to do good, I want to make sure that they're actually doing good. And it's these kind of like greenwashing initiatives, like where the industry's, you know, response to advertising says ad net zero backed by all of the agencies that represent fossil fuel clients and will not challenge them on that. Like that maybe you should be aware of. And that's what I, I, I'm most kind of upset by are industry insiders that are propping up these initiatives that allow them to feel like they're change agents, that allow them to like pursue these like aggressively profitable careers, you know, at the expense of the environment and people. So, you know, like it's not an easy job. Like we are not there with like, a sexy solution that people are like, this is an easy message. Got it. You're not asking a lot from me. Like we're actually asking a lot from the industry, maybe not from the individual. You know, it's kind of David and Goliath. Like we don't necessarily have those resources. We don't have the institutional buy-in. And I can tell you that like, I've been the deliverer of the message, you know, this year at Cannes, I was on a podcast with Adweek. And my message was the SDG awards are greenwashing because you're allowing big polluting agencies with their pro bono nonprofit projects to basically compete alongside agencies that will divest from oil and gas. And you're rewarding these polluters and calling them sustainability champions. And I can tell you that they cut that out of the podcast. And I left that room with no friends and it cost me a lot. And it's like, if this industry is going to rely on a few change makers like me, to transition, like you're in trouble because like we're easy targets. So my plea to anybody would be like, make this mission your own so that nobody can ignore us.
Yeah. And it's about, I guess, converting those junior copywriters and those junior designers, everyone who's starting out their career. There, there are thousands of people entering the ad world every year. And it's still as those people come over to <laughs> creative or climate, I think you kind of infiltrate from within. Well, thank you again, Lucy, for coming on Non-Toxic. It was such a pleasure to have you. And yeah, good luck with everything you're doing. And maybe I'll I'll take a look at those swatches the next time I see a greenwashing ad. That would be great. Thanks so much, Daniel, and thank you for the work you're doing. I love my conversation with Lucy von Sturmer gratified to learn that so many people in the ad industry are starting to question their role in greenwashing for fossil fuels. Of course, it's never a straight road to progress. As more companies tout their green bona fides, there will be others running reactionary messages that mock or reject climate science. In the case of the US, that's about 50% of the electorate, so a pretty big consumer base. Masculinity narrative wars, as Lucy called them, are just heating up. And I'm certain that we'll be seeing more stupid car ads that equate manhood with gas-guzzling horsepower. In the meantime, it's up to each of us to carry around one of those creatives for climate greenwashing swatches, at least mentally. And to think a little more critically about the way the ads we consume are tapping into deeply ingrained ideas about masculinity. And that's it for this episode of Non-Toxic. Next week, we'll be starting a two-part mini-series about climate and babies. In the first part, we'll be talking to journalist and author Sean Norris about her new book, Bodies Under Siege. I think it's a fascinating conversation connecting the far-right's obsession with rolling back abortion rights to larger far-right conspiracies about climate, migration, and so-called white genocide. And in the second part of this two-parter, I'll be talking to two antinatalists who are leading the cause for people to stop having babies during the age of the climate crisis. As always, this episode was produced by Loose Thread Studios with help from Andrew Lewis. Music is by Nathan Sharp and artwork is by Sam Creasy. Our sponsor this season is Blue Corn Candles. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit us at patreon.com slash non-toxic podcasts where you can sign up to become a patron and keep the show up and running. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, make sure to tell someone you know about it.